Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. So we have a very special morning plan for you guys today. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll preface it with this. You've heard me say from the stage that um, years ago I was challenged by a friend of mine uh, who's kind of turned into a little bit of a mentor of mine. His name is Brad Lominick. And uh, years ago he asked me, what is your life mission statement in one sentence? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Uh, and made me kind of think about that and wrestle with it a little bit. And after praying it through and wrestling with it, I, I determined that my life mission statement, the thing that I am on this planet to do is I'm a gold digger. That is my job. That is what I'm on planet Earth for. And not because I married a woman with money. God knows she was in debt when we got married. Hallelujah. Um, your boy bailed her out of that one. Um, but uh, what I mean by that is my life's mission, my life's goal is to find the gold that is buried beneath the surface in people and to see that dug out and on display for everybody to see. I believe that all of us have some gold that we can bring to the surface in our lives. There's some things that haven't uh, yet been unearthed in us. And sometimes that process is difficult. It requires some TNT. Sometimes it's a little bit of sifting. Sometimes it's a little bit of digging. But man, I love it when I see people who are living out the high call of God on their life and doing what he has uniquely wired them to do. And so at the beginning of this summer, um, uh, we identified about 10 to 11 people uh, that we really felt had the call of, of preaching, communication on their life. And uh, unbeknownst to you, we've been spending the summer uh, in my living room on Tuesdays, uh, training and allowing people to kind of vet out that gift in front of a small group for the purpose of creating space for other voices to communicate to our church. Um, I don't think it's healthy to have one voice or two voice that people can receive from, voices people can receive from. I believe there's a lot of people that God has deposited seeds in in this church, and we need to hear from our community from time to time and hear what God is saying to them through them. And so today we have the unique opportunity for the first time from my living room to this room uh, to hear from one of the communicators uh, who is going to absolutely bring an incredible word today, and you are up for a treat. Uh, we all got kind of like a preview service of this message, a shorter abridged version, but today you get the full thing, and uh, I'm really excited for it. So this is no stranger to our house. She serves like crazy. She oversees our Discover class, but um, would you guys do me a favor? And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, and will you welcome Laura Van Hagen as she comes to bring the Word of God today. Come on, give it up. not good if you can't even get your iPad open. Uh, here we go. All right. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> it is a good morning, isn't it? We have breath in our lungs. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is a good morning. Um, so with that, I, I want to start first, um, if I can get it out. <laughs> I want to thank Pastor Tim and Robin. Um, I want to thank you for trusting me with this opportunity. Um, this means more to me than you know. And while I am thankful that ultimately this message will have precious little to do with me, um, I do know that it is your faith in what God can do with this broken vessel that has me here today. So thank you. Love you. Um, okay, so church, I'm going to start by apologizing, actually. Not only because I am clearly not Tim or Robin, I, I don't even know if I have abs anymore, you know. 
Um, I might try and find triceps next week, but we'll see. Um, but also because some of the choices that I'm going to make in this message might make some of us feel kind of wistful and nostalgic, but then some of the choices might make us feel kind of old and maybe a little bit awkward and... Um, and maybe people other than me might feel uncomfortable. <laughs> so, um, because I am going to intentionally take you back to 1991. Okay. So, I think we can all agree that this is a deeply troubling time in fashion. Anything that was good from the previous decades has not made it through. And we are in like crushed velvet and acid wash jeans and overall, although overalls, I'm sorry, but there are many people rocking overalls right now, but I'm not one of those people. Um, so, so 1991 has come back a little bit and yeah, okay, there were some cool TV shows. I'll give you that. Um, I actually agree with Tim's message last week, a um, couple of points, but one was that there's some decent music in there, you know, like that was cool. But generally speaking, 1991 was a little awkward. That whole decade was awkward. And if you rewatch some of those shows, I think you will agree with me. <laughs> but um, for me, it, it was actually an especially awkward decade. Um, the, the previous decade, I was a child, right? So I was just running around and I was focused on Legos and Barbies and all was fine. But in, in the 90s, I was really starting to become aware of many things, right? I mean, it's, it's a car crash because of hormones and everything else. But I also was starting to feel this like acute sense of being different all the time and just out of place. And um, part of it was because my family moved around a lot in that period. And so I always will say that it's, it's been such an immense blessing because I can talk to anybody and, and that's really great to learn how to adapt and, and be adept at managing change. But at the same time, I got really good at becoming friends with established groups of people while not actually becoming part of that group. And so, you know, it wasn't really a, a time of belonging. And, and let's be honest, like, it was middle school and then high school, heaven help us all. And then at the end of it, all my parents got divorced. <laughs> so, so I'm sorry, this is all very awkward. Um, but I have to take us back to 1991. It's important because in just over a month, the world is going to celebrate a very important anniversary. Um, this anniversary is the 30th anniversary of Nirvana's second album, Nevermind. Okay. Um, and for some of you, this is like extra awkward because you weren't even born yet. And you're like, is this a weird history lesson? Like, why are we talking about this? And for some of you, you're like, why are we talking about that? Like, I am holy. I had Michael W. Smith on my Walkman. Or if you were like an early adopter on your Discman, anti-skip, you know. And so it may not seem relevant to you. But it's important because of this anniversary, I'm going to give you the song title from track three, the theme of one of our church's values, and the title of the message for today. Um, and in fact, actually, in keeping with our kind of low-key musical theme, I'm, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to let the artist tell you the title of this title of this message. Oh, did you detect it? 
Oh, one sec, one moment. I will not sing it. That's not my gifting. That's not my gifting. This is already bad enough. There we go. Okay. Okay, so the, the title is Come As You Are. Okay, okay. Um, so that was fun. Um, <laughs> now that we've uh, immersed ourselves back into 1991, I actually want us to travel, travel even further back in time, if you can imagine, um, back to the tail end of Jesus's ministry. And uh, this is a, still a different time in terms of fashion and all of that. Um, but I want us to go... Um, before actually we get into today's story, I want us to focus on the story before the story. Uh, I want to set a little bit of context. And um, so for those of you that have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke in chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. And uh, if, you know, again, if you're a visual person like me, like the current vibe is like, you know, long robes and sandals and lots of hair and whatnot. And um, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. And for those of you that know why he's traveling to Jerusalem, you remember this is a very busy time, right? So he's on his way and he encounters a blind man on the side of the road. And the blind man calls out to Jesus and he gets scolded, but then he calls out again anyway. And in verse 41, Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And he responds, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And then in verse 42, Jesus says, receive your sight, your faith has made you well. And in verse 43, we learn that immediately he gains his sight, he begins following Jesus, he starts glorifying God, and when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. So good. Uh, So this is a great story in its own right. And to be fair, you really should go and unpack all of it at your leisure. There's a lot on offer there. Um, But in some ways, it it kind of makes sense, right? Um, So for those of you that uh, know this story, you know, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he encounters this man just outside of Jericho. And uh, for the non-Bible historians in the room, um, I learned that Jericho is an extremely important city, and it, it actually has been for some time. And so um, it's, a, it's a border city. So essentially you've got you know, trade routes east and west, trade routes north and south, and Jericho is the intersection of all that activity. So like many major cities, it's the hub of rich and powerful people, and they all congregate there which is why it makes sense that less fortunate folks would line the, the streets of the city going in and the exits of the city, right? So um, Jericho actually literally means place of fragrance. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, it's like the trading all of these different things. So they have, you know, balsam and honey and roses and all these wonderful, pleasant things. So when I think about Jericho, I, I sort of think about it like a, like an anthropology store, <laughs> you know, like when you walk in and you're like, this is so pleasant, right? Or like Tim and Robin's house, you know, kind of like, it's just so nice. Um, and, and both of those places are places that could receive rich and powerful people or maybe should, you know? Um, so it's here that Jesus has just finished this miracle, right? And everyone's happy 
And it's here where we're going to pick up the story of Zacchaeus. So just a quick check, actually. How many of you are already familiar with the story of Zacchaeus? Okay, so most everyone. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, there's a song out there about it that a lot of you may have learned as kids, maybe in the 90s. Um, and... You know, to be honest, like, I, I didn't have that background, so I didn't know this story until I read it. I was completely unfamiliar. But then when I did read it, I fell in love because I immediately saw myself in this story. And I think that it's possible and maybe probable that you will see yourself in here too. So um, again, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to go on this journey together. Um, we're now going to be looking at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. So he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and he was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay, so the main character of this story is Zacchaeus. What do we know about him, right? So actually, pause here. <laughs> I, uh, I've struggled a little bit with the pronunciation of Zacchaeus's name, right? I don't know these things. So, so when I first read it, I was like, Zacchaeus, that sounds right. And then, I, and then, you know, aspiring to excellence, I'm like, I better be sure. So I consulted Google, and it's kind of a bit of a, you know, debate, I guess. It could be Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus or some combination thereof. Um, but despite not knowing how to pronounce his name, we do know from the text that he is very successful in a prosperous city, right? He's wealthy. And we know that, um, you know, he is a tax collector, which means he probably wasn't well-liked. So for those of you that don't know, um, tax collectors were in this environment, Jewish people that were essentially working for the Roman government and not for their Jewish communities. And though their job was technically to, yes, collect taxes, it was extremely common and, um, and almost encouraged, I think, in some ways, for them to collect far more than was, what was actually appropriate on top of the, the taxes. And so um, it's interesting because it says he was the chief tax collector, right? Which kind of makes him like the head of the tax board there. Um, and so, you know, I don't know about you, but when I think about taxes, I do not get excited, right? And if I was thinking about, 
oh, and somebody's going to come to my home in April and they're going to physically greet me and, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't have a lot of positive feelings, right? It's, I don't know if you guys have seen that uh, newer Brian Regan uh, special on Netflix where he's like, I already know I don't like this guy. Like, it's, you know, I, I'm kind of anticipating that, you know, he's, he's not well liked. Um, and not that he can help it, but he's short, you know, small in stature. So if this pronunciation thing is still bothering you, um, like it was me a little bit, I offer to you this morning the option of redubbing him just for the purpose of the story. Um, and I'd like to put on offer Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> okay, so hear me out. He's 5'7", which is like not short, but not tall for a man, right? Also worth $40 million. So it kind of fits, right? Also alive during 1991. Um, but uh, he, uh, actually, fun fact, he taught a waltz class after which he shared a Coke with Mary J. Blige in 1991. Do you see how perfect this is? Okay. So anyway, so Zach knows that Jesus is coming, right? He's heard all the buzz. In fact, I think most everyone in the town knew that Jesus was coming at this point, right? So Zach's having a hard time seeing everybody, you know, seeing above the crowd. So he runs on ahead and he climbs up into a tree where Jesus goes to where he is and calls him by name. And he asks him to do three things in verse five. Hurry, come down, and let me in. And then in verse 6 from the text we read, so Zach thought about it for a long time. He journaled about it. He talked about it with his other tax collecting friends. He went back to the crowd and checked in on what they thought. And then he realized that if Jesus is coming over, he better clean up his place. So he went and bought throw pillows and got new light fixtures. And no, that is not what the text says. <laughs> The text says that he did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. He hurried, he came down from a, a relatively safe place of viewing, right? I mean, it's kind of, you're out on a limb, okay? But, but relatively safe place of viewing to receive him into his current place gladly. And then what happened? So the crowd which by the way is the same crowd that was super happy about the previous miracle, starts to get a little fussy and they start to grumble and criticize and ask what he's doing. And we know the crowd, right? The onlookers, there always is one. Um, and they're kind of a fickle thing, right? Then and now. Um, and I was thinking about it, I was like, well, why, why did they turn? It's so quick, right? I think it's clear that the crowd was okay with one kind of blindness, but clearly not happy about Jesus associating with someone like Zacchaeus. So in verse 8, we get to witness Zach's transformation where he makes this radical decision to give away an immense amount of his possessions and wealth, um, and to which Jesus replies, right, Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay, so let me stop here. We know the characters. We know the plot. 
And I've already said that I can absolutely see myself in this story. So my question to you is, can you see yourself in this story? And before you get excited about choosing, I um, just want to let you know I'm not going to let you be Jesus because only Jesus is Jesus and only he can do what he can do, okay? But I will give you three other options, okay? Option one is the crowd. And I'm sorry to say I have been the crowd. And this is actually dangerous for two different reasons. Um, because we miss opportunities in, in very distinct ways. So the first dangerous way of being in the crowd is when you're actually overly focused on your friends. And that's happened to me where, you know, I'm just, I'm laser focused on Jesus and I'm so excited and, and friends with the same goals and mindsets are linking arms and we're working together, right? And we're moving so fast and so far, we're, we're running our race, but we're so focused on this grouping that we neglect to notice that right next to us are people who might be short in stature, who are having trouble seeing Jesus. And so I've needed to be reminded sometimes that our church is here, that we are here, we should be here to make sure that we can move aside and help those that are running after Jesus or climbing trees to try to see Jesus, or frankly, the folks that don't have the strength to do that yet. So the other dangerous way to be in the crowd is when you're overly focused on your foes. And I'm so sorry to say that I have been here too, more than I'd like to admit. Uh, and what this looks like, right, is you're that crowd member that's completely fine with one kind of healing blessing for a certain group of people or an individual. But then when it comes to someone who has taxed you or overtaxed you personally, I have struggled when that person then receives blessing or favor. And this, it's so dangerous because it starts out as kind of just like a little hitch and, and right? But then it, we become desensitized to our own need for grace, right? And, and we start to realize that, you know, it's, it's kind of more about our experience and our feelings. And we build up this whole narrative and it's not about the truth of God anymore, and that can lead to self-righteousness and judgment and harboring unforgiveness and resentment, so I've heard. <laughs> and you know, Jesus did not try to win Zach over with an argument, right? He, di he didn't go up to him and say, hey, I'd like to talk, I'd like to have this debate because I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to show you the folly of your ways. So at times... I've needed to be reminded that we have all fallen, that we continue to struggle with one kind of blindness or another, and that sometimes we need to be reminded when we were still foes and how Jesus responded to us. Okay, so option one, not great. Uh, option two is the tree. 
And I know that is weird, okay? So go with me on this. Um, it's, it's this idea of, you know, being, being rooted, okay? Um, and really, for all the best intentions, trying to position ourselves in such a way where we could be useful, where we could be helpful, right? So it's this idea of like, okay, if I can just get myself in exactly the right spot, you know, I've got a good foundation. I know what I'm doing. And, and I'm in the word and I'm worshiping and I'm praying and I, and I feel good. And maybe if I stay here and bend just a certain way, then others can climb up on and use my foundation and I'm strong. So I could probably hold them for quite a while. I got a low center of gravity, you know? And it seems like it's okay, right? Because it seems like, well, what, what could be the harm in that? You're trying to be useful. You're trying to be helpful and put yourself in a, in a way to be used, a position to be used. The problem with that is that Jesus is not up in that tree. You see from the text, Jesus is walking to Jerusalem. He is moving at the ground level. So if you want to have an encounter with Jesus, if you want to be in relationship with Jesus, you have to come down from your relative place of safety to be able to see him face to face. So while we've all taken a turn, maybe be in the crowd, and sometimes maybe even taken a turn being a tree, I think that actually the most often we all find ourselves choosing option number three, which is a wee little man in a sycamore tree trying to get a glimpse at Jesus. And um, I'm so sorry to say that I have been this person also. I uh, am not especially savvy with anything in the realm of finances. If you know me well, you know that to be true. Yet, um, shout out to Mark, my dad, he's going to help me with that. Um, <laughs> but I have lived in Jericho with fog for some time now. And I've been a part and tasted and been immersed in all of these fragrant things. Right? I, I actually came to the Bay Area from the Midwest. I don't know if you can tell. And uh, <laughs> I, I came for a job. And of course, you know, careers progress and, and you pour into it and, and grow and develop. And so I, I had all those, you know, business dinners and fancy trips and all the things. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And I was thinking about Zacchaeus and I thought, oh, I wonder if it's like that, you know? He's in a big city. It's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but essentially he's just trying to get what he can get, do what he does in a, in a great city. Um, and so I was thinking, I bet he knows what it's like to be extremely well-fed, but so hungry. You know what I'm talking about? Where, where you're drowning but you're so thirsty. And I think about how easy it is to get swept up in that environment, just trying, trying, trying for more. And, uh, and it's easy to make mistakes. And I've made mistakes, and I've been rejected for the, those mistakes. And at times I felt like I was probably not worth associating with. And people might have agreed with me. 
You know, a few years ago, Brene Brown made a statement on Super Soul Sunday, which I know you guys all watch recorded because you're here on Sundays. Uh, but she was talking with Oprah about what I think is the cultural truth of what Zacchaeus might have been feeling like. Uh, she was talking about the ego as the enemy of belonging. And she said, to me, the ego is the hustler. The ego says to me, you have no inherent worth. You've got to hustle for it, baby. She said that we live in a scarcity culture, right? How fast are you going to run? How high are you going to jump? Every, it's never enough. You're never good enough, thin enough, rich enough, safe enough, certain enough. We're all afraid. And it's like we live in this constant, collective, post-traumatic stress response. Like we have this thin film of terror wrapped around us. I'm not talking about a mask. And I can't speak for you, but I can say for me, I, I get that. I've been there. I've been the crowd, I've been the tree, and I've been Zacchaeus. And I'm guessing that, you know, as I suggested a moment ago, you may have been there too. But whether we've been there or we are there, I think we can all agree that we don't want to stay there. So I want to remind you of our church's first value. Here at the Father's House, we have eight values, and this is how the first of these values reads. Belong first. We are an inclusive, come-as-you-are culture that operates under this conviction. You belong before you believe what we believe or behave how we behave. And there is a reason why this value comes first. The definition of inclusive is aiming to provide equal access to opportunities and resources for people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized, right? So said another way, promoting affiliation, acceptance, association, attachment, connection, integration, fellowship. Fellowship. Do you know why our value reads that way? Because Jesus is that way. That's what he wants. He wants relationship and fellowship. You know, Jesus wants to be with us in our homes just as we are experiencing life together. And he did not say to Zach, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'd strongly prefer it if you could show me some success in these areas and uh, maybe do some sheep herding or tent making or something for a few months. And then after that, I'll consider being friends with you. Jesus wants to be in relationship with you right now because you already belong. And I also know what it's like to not believe that at all. So I actually want to prove to you that you belong because he created you. Not only did he create you, but he created you in his image. Genesis 5.1 says he made them in the likeness of God. Psalm 103 says, know that the Lord himself is God and it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We know the sound of his voice, John 10, 27. And not only did he make you, but he delights in you. 
He wants to be with you. Zephaniah 17, 3.17 says, He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing as you are. He wants to be with you so much, in fact, that he gave himself the name of Emmanuel, God with us. He came down from heaven, a perfect place, to this broken place just to be with us. And not only does he want to be with you, but he promises to be with you. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The NLT version says, come close to God and God will come close to you. And if you feel unworthy still, he gives you permission. Hebrews 4 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. He loves you. The whole Bible shows it. This is his love letter to you. So to paraphrase Ephesians, I have been praying all week that as we become more and more rooted and firmly established in his love, that we will better be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge. He wants to be with you and he wants to come to your home and sit at your table so much. But he won't force his way in. He will wait until you come down from your relatively safe place and open the door. And actually, according to the story, he would rather that you hurry. He is a patient God. Praise God. He is patient. But he would rather that you get on it. And so I remind you that in Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and him with me. Church, I believe that today he is knocking. He is knocking on every crowd member, every tree, every Zacchaeus in here who might be feeling unworthy, rejected, feeling like this kind of love that we're talking about is not for them. And ultimately, the question is, will you open the door? Or said another way, will you come down from that tree? And maybe you'd say, yeah, I've come down from that tree a long time ago. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good. He's in my heart, and I've already opened up the door. Guess what? Your heart is a hallway full of doors. Or said another way, it's a hotel full of doors. Can I get an amen for my first 40 people? Okay? So Jesus is going to continue to knock on doors. The the longer you follow him, the more he wants to do in you and through you. And so the question still remains, are you going to open the door? And maybe the door that Jesus is asking you to open today is a door for others. Because let's not forget, Zacchaeus did not have dinner with Jesus alone. 
He invited friends to this dinner party. <laughs> and, you know, it's often said that friends are like each other, right? So these friends may also have been feeling unworthy and rejected. And so there's a whole group of people, they, Zach, me, you, that Jesus has come to save. We are the very ones he come to, came to save. Verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Not after you become something else, but as you are. So as the song beckons, come as you are, don't wait, because you already belong. So I want to invite the band to come as we conclude. Um, but as we do, I want to pray for two groups of people. So people in group number one, you've opened your heart to Jesus. You've, you've already opened that heart. But you might say, I, I feel the Holy Spirit knocking on one or more doors in my heart. And some of these doors may have been doors that I've been unwilling to open. And maybe it's about inclusivity or another door, but I would like to pray with you today. And I really wanted to get this right. I don't know if they'll ever let me back up here again. So I, I wrote out this prayer. And if this is you, I'd ask that you please join me. Father, this morning, I thank you for this moment, for the opportunity for everyone listening to this today to meet with you in a new way. I thank you for your patience and for your perfect plan. But I also thank you for having reckless love for us, that there is urgency in the intimacy that you desire with us. God, I lift up everyone here today who your spirit has called to come down and open a new door in their heart. I ask that you give them courage as they step forward to receive you. And I ask that you fill them with a double portion of joy as they do so gladly. I ask that your perfect love continue to fill them and cast out any fear. And church, you can say with me out louder in your heart, Father, today I open my heart again to you. Thank you for making a way. Jesus, thank you for unlocking every door your will be done in my life, for yours is the glory forever. Amen. And people in group number two, maybe you would say, I've never opened any door in my heart to Jesus. And if that's you today, Pastor Robin is here um, and will lead you in prayer and tell you how you can take your next steps. Thank you, Laura. Yeah, let's keep our heads bowed. And if that's you today, say, I'm far from God and I don't wanna be any longer. I wanna make a decision to follow after him today. It's not in the eloquence of your prayer, it's in the posture of your heart. And I wanna give you the opportunity today to invite him in, to allow him to be Lord of your life. If that's you today, you're far from God and you wanna invite him in, would you be so bold and just lift your hands so I know who I'm praying with today? On. If that's you today, I see it right there, amen. Right over there. Just let's pray this out today. If you're making that decision, say, Jesus, I choose to follow after you. 
to walk in your ways and be your disciple. I was following my own path. I had my own ideas or I was hanging out in that tree and today I come down. I invite you to come and take over my life and I choose to follow you. Not for a moment, not for a day, but for all of my life. And I thank you, Jesus, as you are Lord of my life and I give you my life over to you, that I get to not only walk with you on this earth, but I get to spend an eternity with you. Thank you, Father, for the promise of salvation. I receive it today in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Can we give it up for those who made that decision today? Woo. Hey, if that was you, as a church, we don't want you to simply pray a prayer, but we wanna help you take your next steps. We wanna help you start this journey strong. We've got a couple ways that we do that around here. We've got something that uh, Laura mentioned, our first 40 class that this amazing couple down here leads, Carol and Tim, and we'd love to help you. We kinda wanna be that personal coach that walks alongside you, teaches you where to start reading in the Bible, and those really simple steps to build a strong foundation. Also, in addition to that, we're gonna tell you about baptism, which is your next step. The Bible says to repent and be baptized. And we wanna tell you more about that. So if you made that decision today, don't be shy, come down front. We're a friendly crew. Uh, this is an amazing couple who would love to pray with you, but also help you start that journey strong. You can grab this card or they've got it down here. Come and pray with us today. Or as Tim says every week, if they look scary, you can go out to our connect area and we can help you start that journey strong out there. We love you. Thank you for coming. I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet. And can we just all collectively say thank you, Laura, for that word today. Thank you for listening to Jesus and walking with him and letting him speak to your heart first and then bringing that here. We receive that by faith today. So we love you. Hey, if you need prayer for anything, I wanna invite all of our leaders to come down front. We would love to pray with you today. And if not, I will see you on the porch for some coffee and donuts. We love you guys. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.